friends and enemies. It's episode 155 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy. As always, our, our, our country mouse is back in the big city. <laughs> after after, after a, about a month being away, living in the, the highlands of Western Virginia, riding horses, reconnecting with the land, Thinking big thoughts about the the this generation's next big science fiction novel. Ed is back in New York City, the land of Mayor Eric Adams, the crypto <laughs> mayor. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to <now. laughs> How was the residency, Ed? <laughs> you know, I thought there was going to be an Omicron or a new coronavirus wave. Um, and instead, there's just a police wave, as now there was a terror attack while I was gone, and they decided, you know what, we we need more cops and less testing sites, and this is how we're going to keep the city safe. God, aren't they doing, like, uh, metal detectors? Like, they're proposing to do, like, metal detectors in the subway station. Insane. He got in through the emergency exit, so of course that means we should do metal de- metal detectors at the turnstiles, right? Fucking idiots. I don't get it. <laughs> so dumb. Ugh, I, also, I love it. Like, obviously, I mean, uh, you know, anytime this kind of shit happens, uh, companies roll out to take advantage of a crisis. And I saw so much stuff around companies being like, this is why we need more biometric surveillance. This is why we need our tech solution. No, this is why we need our tech solution. Like, blah, blah, blah. And, and Eric Adams is such a bozo that he's 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 down with all of that. Uh, like I think while you were away, there was that video clip of him, like the fire department had one of those Boston robotics, uh, like demon dogs, demon robot dogs. And, Mm -hmm. and Eric Adams was like, you know, showing it off. He was like remote controlling it or something like he just thinks this shit is like so fun. I mean, it is, it's a game. It's a, it's a game for him and people like him. Right. It was nice to not have to deal with that. Even though I was, I was online, but. Uh, being online didn't disrupt with my writing the way that I thought it was would one because I uh, was taking Adderall as I've been as my doctors have been saying I should for the past decade and uh, you know what uh, turns out meth works in <laughs> getting you to focus on things turns out meth is a performance enhancing drug um, I <laughs> I wrote a lot I wrote I've been people know me in real life I've been talking about this this sci-fi book series um, for uh, close to 12 years. And I finally was able to write some of it. I've have so many, I have notebooks full of world building and character notes and lore and bullshit. That is everything but writing. So I actually got to write, which was really nice. Mm. Um, I think the first few things I'll probably publish 
I have a novella that I'm work. I have got a novella shaping out. I've got a bunch of sci-fi little short stories and then a few chapters for the first book of this series. And I'm thinking of making them all shared universe. It's going to be fun stuff, fun, fun stuff. It's basically just um, a future history that starts with someone uh, killing them, setting themselves on fire to save, to get people to raise awareness about climate change and then going from there. Didn't that actually just happen? It did actually just happen. I was basing, I was basing it and honestly dedicating it to like another guy who had done that um, a few years ago. And then as I was writing it, another guy did it in front of the Supreme court. So mm. uh, yeah, I think uh, I honestly think more people are going to be doing it. Uh, I think self-immolation and some of these like individualistic attacks or, you know, I mean, that wasn't an attack, but you know, uh, attempts to uh, think about climate change, right. Mm-hmm. Are going to happen more frequently as people feel more powerless. Right. And as feels there's no avenues and anything to help them or to grasp on and to do any real change, especially as we get more dire and dire pronouncements from the IPCC and as everyone speaks in more and more moralistic language about it. But then the solutions are like buy green, you know, or buy local or some shit like that instead of like, uh, you know, figure out how we can take a wrench to uh, an Exxon mobile platform. I think you're right. I mean, this actually dovetails into my own like little pet social theory that I haven't developed in writing, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of mapping onto, you know, the, from disciplinary societies to control societies, like, you know, the overriding, uh, emotions and affects of those different kinds of societies, you know, in disciplinary society, it's, uh, you know, everybody conforms, uh, but then some people are rebel, right? They rebel through deviance, you know, be, you know, queerness, uh, alternative lifestyles, you know, that kind of rebellion of conformity. But in control societies, the overriding affect is everybody feels anxious. It's all anxiety yeah. driven. And what that looks like when it breaks is not rebellion, but volatility, you know, yeah. snap, right? And then this is what I think. You know, this is why I think we have a sudden uprise in, you know, mass shootings. This is, I think this is directly related to the, you know, things like the self-emulation, right? Like these are all different ways of, uh, of enacting that volatility that like, you know, the anxiety builds up so much that you snap and it looks differently, you know, for in different contexts, different people snap in different ways, but ultimately it's all the same thing of volatility. Now, I, I, I should really write this out more really? in, a, in a, like an article, but this is something I've been thinking about, you know, for a very long time is that like, you know, what are these, what are these overriding affects of different types of societies? And yeah, we've long gone past the conformity rebellion of like the 80s and 90s and we are well into the anxiety volatility age of of the 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 21st century Mm -hmm. i mean it's just a matter of like what's going to be that thing that sets that person over the edge I i feel like there's just like a ton of people walking around with like the weight of the world on their shoulders just one step away from being like a first first reform situation Mm -hmm. yeah you know Ed's favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it is one of my favorite movies because I think it's, it's also, and I wrote a bit about this while I was on the retreat because I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure out how to work on it. I haven't really formed the piece fully, but I'm trying to do a kind of over a review, a survey of like eco-terrorists and, and, and domestic terrorists in television and movies 
over the past few years, with the main focus being on like Elliot Alderson and Mr. Robot and and Reverend Toller and First Reformed, but then also referencing other depictions of it because a lot of the times, you know, you have some shows like you have the, I think Blacklist is like one example, the Luddites who are these like kind of terror, it's kind of like anti-tech terror group that's led by like an anarchist who's a sellout or something like that, if I remember the plot correctly. I mean, in all of these things, it's usually people, and Mr. Robot, it's someone who's already disaffected and, you know, is bitter because of unresolved childhood drama, uh, trauma, not drama, trauma because of political beliefs and radicalization because of, like, angerness and bitterness at the world. And also because of, like, you know, an understandable the kind of hopeless desire to want to save the world or make it a little bit better. And then with Reverend Toller in First Reformed, I mean, this is a guy who's, like, kind of bought in you know he's a priest believes in god he's a priest at like a dying almost dead church you know believes in the country his son went off to fight in iraq and died and six months later you know this is a guy who can't really save someone in his gospel and has a pretty existential discussion with him about whether god you know like how can you believe in god and our and us being forgiven when like the world is going to shit and we know it's going to shit and like are we supposed to just like wait for it to go to shit are we supposed to believe it'll get better and you know in a lot of these depictions or or these few depictions right i think there's i think they're all getting at the same sort of thing which is like that it's not and i think those type of lone individuals are operating on a different consolation of ideas and affects than like some of the the others who still also are politically motivated but are lashing out but i don't know how to map it or think through it yet i have to have a lot more thinking to work on it out because it's like i am also i'm interested in trying to talk about it in a way to understand like why why is there not one why isn't there more eco terrorism I mean, there is, and on, and also part of it, part of the problem is a lot of it just isn't covered. But why isn't there more? And then two, why isn't there more depicted in the public? Right? It's an anxiety that we that I think in general is there in the culture, but like, it's not presented the way that I would expect it to be, given how looming the underlying threat of is it, threat of it is. Right on the eve of, and even on the tail end of the war on terror, on the second war on terror, you know, the anxiety about terrorism for middle easterners and 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 people who are brown right just just vaguely brown doesn't even have to be from the middle east um was an overriding anxiety even when there were no terror attacks going on in a way that doesn't that would suggest that you would have similar anxieties kind of like fanatic ones for eco-terrorism especially with how bad the environmental prognosis is but you don't really see it Hmm. So I don't know. We'll see if I can figure that one out. I would like to write. I would like to write something intelligible that also doesn't get me on a list. Yeah. <laughs> Ed, my guy, I think that's too late. I think that is too late for all three of us. Yeah, that's like one of those memes where it's like, all right, you got three dollars to design the ultimate partner. You know, <laughs> three dollars, five dollars. Write something. That doesn't get you on a list. Yeah. $2. <laughs> something that's legible, interesting. $1, write something with a joke in it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my man, but you're going on a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> I, I recently went to a, a couple of bookshops. I went to this uh, bookshop in Olympia and, uh, 
there are quite a bit of self-published books, self-pinded, self-published books on the shelf that I think yours might fit right in if you can't find a publisher. <laughs> also, if anyone picked up a copy of uh, uh, Shoshana Zuboff's book at that bookshop, you also got a free TMK sticker in it. Hell yeah. Guerrilla <laughs> <laughs> marketing, yeah. I love it. I was, um, I was on a train coming back. Um, and there's this woman that I talked to. Well, there are two people. One woman I talked to on the first leg of the trip was like, um, very interested in my book or interested in the book I want to write because I also want to write a nonfiction history, um, touching on sabotage. And I mean, and I was trying to work on some of that, um, while I was on the retreat. Um, and so, she, you know, I was talking to her about the book and she's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and then another was like, Oh, what are you gonna what are you gonna name it? Like blow up your workplace? And I was like, uh, maybe. I don't know, probably not that. I might go to jail <laughs> if I do that. But that would be fun. She and then she's like, I'm I'm uh I'm probably not gonna make it to publication, but if you don't make that the title, I'll haunt you. Train train chat. It's train. Yeah. <laughs> the people on the Amtrak's it's fun. It's a nice little convo. And then that that first woman that I spoke to, I remember I was about to get off, and she like she came to me and she's like, you know, I think we need a revolution, but I think it should be bloodless. And then she goes back, like she just says that, and then just heads to the bathroom and then comes back again. And then she's like, what if there's if there has to be any blood? <laughs> just shrugs. Give you that shoulder shrug. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, just huh? let me go. Huh? And then go to the bathroom. This is what I'm then, telling you, man. Dude, anxiety leads to volatility, <laughs> and people are snapping. You know, people are snapping. Like snapping. Both of these, both these women were the first ones in their seventies, second ones in their eighties. So it was. Oh, it was just, <laughs> damn! All right, Granny. <laughs> <laughs> granny got the she literally probably has a shotgun, just like on the, yeah, the porch. You know, Granny keeps that thing on her. She comes strapped. <laughs> oh my god! That that was a real surprise. The, but you know, I think yeah, the um the retreat was nice. You know, I I got a chance to, like sit down and try to write some or bare bones of some like longer form essays that I really want to do. Like the, I want to. There's a lot of stuff I want to explore about like Chinese regulation, about super apps, about uh, antitrust application to labor, about like political economy of like big tech getting involved in policing that I haven't really been able to do just because crypto blogging is so constant because they're always doing incredibly degenerate and probably <laughs> illegal shit. You know, <laughs> so it is hard to ever sit down and and do the features, except when there's a lull, which is rare. So I was excited. It was really, it was really good, productive time. I think I wrote the most that I've ever written, um, in a long time, uh, and feel like I'm carrying it forward now too, because now I'm medicated, so now I'm actually like consistent. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you are you continuing the the pharmaceutical enhancements? Yeah, I am now. I'm. I regret to inform you, listener. I am now a shill for Big Pharma. I'm. <laughs> every episode is sponsored by whoever the fuck makes Adderall. Okay. <laughs> this, this podcast wouldn't be done if it wasn't for all the uh, the diabetes medication I take. I would have been dead ten years ago. <laughs> we are. We are supplicants of yeah. these companies. Um, who makes Adderall? I'm trying to Google this as fast as I possibly can, and there's not really a clear answer. Marketed by Eveco. That sounds like an alcohol. 
I hate to break it to you, but I think the Nazis invented Adderall. Oh yeah, I mean they did. They did. They let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's their they one of um I was talking to someone the other day um about how we didn't uh, hang enough Nazis, you know, and I was um at Nuremberg and I was like, you know, was NASA worth it? Was NASA worth letting all of them go for for decades and then infecting the US? And I think they said, and uh, they were listing off just like, a, they weren't trying to be like, you know, uh, defending them. I think they were just like listing off all the other things that should also like that people don't think about that are connected to them. And Adderall was one that I forgot. I forgot that like Hitler was hopped up on methamphetamines. Well, not strictly Adderall, but hopped up on meth- methamphetamines, right? Just alone in that bunker. Adderall is a registered trademark of Shire LLC. So what the fuck? I love how <laughs> just like... Every company, so every every now and then, a company's like, "What if we named ourselves after something from Lord of the Rings?" Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I if I didn't know any better, I'd be like, "This shit, another Peter Till joint." <laughs> no, listen, not. The anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible in America. This the is the land of the free. Too old for that. <laughs> Don't count him out. Give him enough time. Give him some time, and he'll figure out a way. <laughs> Um, well, currently my, my, my bloodstream is peer of all pharmaceuticals. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> except, one what of us except that Teflon darn shit. One of That's us has to of stay us. clear. Yeah, right. <laughs> straight edge, straight edge, straight edge. You know, you, Jathan, you're also lucky to live in a country that, uh, make sure citizens don't consume all the nasty shit that we all buy at Trader Joe's that we can't send to our friends overseas because <laughs> customs is like, no, 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 this is illegal. That is true. That is true. I do love that. I love that there's like a biological checkpoint, you know, that where they're mm. like, oh no, are you trying to poison our land bringing in these fruits? <laughs> Get them yeah, the fuck out. Bi- biosecurity laws. <laughs> I have that shit. <laughs> um, we don't. We don't really have any sort of laws protecting people's bodies. Oh, and no. Okay. Not in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, like, no. Let, let it all in. Let no it all blood in. for the blood god, baby. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very excited to see uh what what you know what changes as you continue on the Adderall as you continue being uh pharmaceutically enhanced uh <laughs> the, your 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 uh your blogging powers will become even greater than ever before yeah. I'm gonna be like Muadib but for writing uh, sarcastic <laughs> <Yeah>. shit <laughs> I mean that would be funny if like, Adder- <laughs> like Adderall just unlocked some like latent graphomania inside you and you just <laughs> You just started just cranking out words. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Time won't tell. It, you remember in the, uh, I forget what writer it was in the X-Men, but they had that uh, mutant enhancement drug mm-hmm. that you would give regular people and then they would develop just like short-term mutant powers. But if you give it to mutants, it like would completely just blow their shit up. Mm-hmm. And I think Adderall is one of those things. Like it, if you don't need it and you take it, you just get like, you get like a small amount of time where like you clean your fucking house and like do everything you need to do. And like, you know, you focus on tasks that you need to do, but that's right. In your situation, like you take it, man, you're going to be cranking out, uh, 3000 words a day or five. I don't know. Is that a lot? Three, 5,000. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, like a limitless spell. Um, mm-hmm. the, I just take it and all of a sudden I'm hearing my voice in seven different angles narrating. I'm looking, <laughs> uh, with, with the power of Adderall, I can post 20 pe- 
20 tweets a second. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I'm at a level heretofore unseen. And there was history. one day. There was one day. I don't think anyone noticed. There was one day I was posting a little too much because the Adderall hit very hard. <laughs> I did not eat enough in the morning, and I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> I was and I was doing it like in between work. I was I was I was like writing things out, um, and writing fiction. I was still off from work, and I was like, post, 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 post. Perfect flow state. I mean, not perfect because I was on Twitter, but you know. <laughs> how long? How long do you think you guys uh, it's going to be before Elon Musk announces the Twitter post from your your Neuralink? Is that going to be within the end of the year? He's going to announce that it'll be available in five years. You could just post from your brain with Neuralink. I think they should first stop killing every monkey that uses it. I think that's the first step. <laughs> you know, when they do that, then they should they should look into using it for Twitter, and then maybe, but maybe, maybe, so maybe next year. I speak for everyone when we say we are we are very much looking forward to hearing more and reading more about this uh, forthcoming sci-fi series. It's a whole a whole yeah. damn series of novels. Yeah, I have nine books in my head. It's gonna oh nine books. God. I got I've, I sketched out twenty short stories that are gonna like all in the same universe. All of it's gonna be in the same universe. It's gonna be great. Oh my god, we we got our own Corey Doctorow come like, right here. <laughs> in fact, speaking of anxiety, I was ta- I was talking to Corey um, one day and like just talking. I was also just like talking to him about the sheer amount that that, that my man writes. He's just writing mm-hmm. constantly, and he said he he writes to deal with his anxiety, um, which means Hell he's yeah. writing all the time. Uh, Hell yeah. and, and also. Goes back to my social theory. This is an age of anxiety, and people deal with it in different ways. And for people like Corey, it manifests in terms of like graphomania, like having three different novels going at one time, plus a nonfiction book, you know, plus like that's gonna, that's, that's, that's what Adderall has unlocked for you, Ed. That, that, that is your future. And it's a beautiful, beautiful future. I, I'm, I'm in the zone now. I'm, I'm locked in. I, I get how Corey Doctorow does that. I mean, that's the reason why I make so much music because if I wasn't, I would, I honestly don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still clean my recycling before I put it out. So I know I haven't really completely given up. I, I get that. Like just the need to like constantly be busy with something to fight against the, those demons in your brain saying, let's go blow up a data center. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace them demons. Embrace them. <laughs> go, go, go how much water that data center near you uses. Just look it's at some, it. It's some, <laughs> it's some son of Sam shit. But instead, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, but instead of telling you to go out and uh, you know kill homeless people, it's uh, telling you to go out and blow out, blow up data centers. You know, yeah, spirit of blood. They don't really need all that water. Yeah, sh- shout out to our Discord. Uh, one of our our patrons in the Discord made the joke about uh, when is uh. When is Andreas' mom gonna drop his next book? Uh, How to blow up a data center? Oh, listen, I'm gonna beat him to the bunch. <laughs>
I'm going to beat him to the punch. That's my title now. Blow up a, let's blow up a data center. Parody. <laughs> I like that, though, because how to blow up a pipeline sounds, you know, it, 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 you know, it's like an instruction manual, but let's blow up a data center sounds more like a party. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs> and that's the energy. We need to have a party on yeah. the ruins of the, of the edifices that we destroy. Bacchanalia. Right. Let's find out where all the the uh, all the companies keep everybody's uh, credit information and blow those. Yeah, up. that's phase two. <laughs> all right, Fight Club. He's <laughs> so Gen X, Jeremy. <laughs> I know he had the right idea. Though. He really did. Set everybody back to zero. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old. We have to go back. We have to go back. <laughs> oh man uh, <laughs> make sure though ed make sure that you keep eating and sleeping i i i am not prescribed with uh with any amphetamines but in college i did dabble with some uh with some dexies the dexedrine uh mm-hmm. and uh i that was the first and only time i've ever done it i, I, I had maybe a, a a few week run there where i was dabbling with the dexies when i didn't need it and uh it was not pretty. Uh, that shit, I was on some Requiem for a Dream type shit, just not <laughs> yeah. sleeping for days, not eating. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't really need to sleep. Why would you need, Why would you sleep? You can just stay awake for another few hours and do this. In fact, did you know you can do that right now? You have the energy to do this. You should do that. Yeah, I remember um, in college, I used to rail Adderall for all-nighters to do essays. And I did this essay in, um, this, I was doing this graduate seminar um, in, uh, on like Latin American history or something like that. I railed, railed a bunch of Adderall so I could write this like massive essay about, um, uh, profiling each of the first contacts, uh, with conquistadors and explorers and, and like records of how indigenous peoples, uh, perceived them and then how they probably should have reacted. And I was so manic. I was so fucking manic that by the end of it, I just like envision. I was like, I wrote like seven pages about how they should have killed them all. And then like orchestrated a way to like, or tried to learn the language and then do scouts to the area and tell them the wrong places. And eventually like launch an invasion of Europe. And the professor was like, Oh, interesting uh, short story at the end. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was nice, but um, you really like you finished the assignment much earlier than that, and then you just started writing a story. What was up with that? <laughs> Graphomania. Graphomania. That's some. That's some. That's a some leftist hairy turtle dove shit. Instead of going back in time and giving fucking. Uh, Confederates AK 47s would go back in time and give the native peoples of America fucking, I don't know, machine guns. Wait, Harry Turtle Dove. This dude wrote a story where the Confederates got AFKs. Yeah, the, he wrote a story about how uh, an alternate history story about how uh, some uh, South African apartheid militia people discovered uh, time travel. And so they went back and gave uh, the Confederates in the United States AK 47s and uh, so the United States would become like a, you know, con- basically a Confederate States of America. What is, uh, what's Did he think this politics? was a good thing? Yeah, is this, what's his politics? Well, it was, you know, it's just the fact that he would invoke a thought like that. Mm-hmm. So I just would read the synopsis and I'm like, this man is like, 
this is this is what the History Channel wants. He's <laughs> <laughs> looking pretty wild eyed. So. I'm looking at some. I'm. Uh, publishers, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. Publishers Wiki, Weekly dubbed Turtle Dove the master of alternate history. Within the genre, he's known for creating original alternate history scenarios, such as the survival of the Byzantine Empire or an alien invasion during the middle of the Second World War. In addition, he has been credited with giving original treatment to alternate themes that have been dealt with uh, by many others, such as the victory of the South in the American Civil War, the victory of Nazi Germany during the Second World War. I'm... I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a pattern. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> What's up with my boy? What's up with him? What I'm because look, you can do that and not be a right wing nut. Yeah, <laughs> this novel's called "The Guns of the South," and it legit is a picture of a Confederate gentleman just holding an AK-47. <laughs> okay, I'm like I'm like very fascinated by him because I'm looking at. Tweets. He he tweeted something where he said, "If Republicans weren't heartless on Amer- on immigration, maybe voters wouldn't see them that way." Okay, 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 okay. Oh, interesting. He wrote a story where there's a gay wedding between George Bush and Osama bin Laden. I'm I'm reading in <laughs> TV tropes. So TV tropes has this thing called author, author tract, defined in two short stories in Atlantis and other places. Bedfellows, which features a gay wedding between George W. Bush and Osama bin Laden, is a scathing take that against the then current president. Uh, The next story, News from the Front, is an equally scathing, only somewhat less thinly veiled take that against Bush's detractors, particularly in the media. Both of these stories are written quite convincingly, conveying the impression that the author is an anti-war liberal in the first one and a hawkish conservative in the second. In his preface to News from the Front, Turtle Dove, quoting Larry Neven, says that there is a technical term for those who judge writers' politics by what they turn out. That term is idiot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very fascinated by this man. <laughs> I'm. I want you to know. I'm going to read everything he's written. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole separate Wikipedia for Harry Turtle Dove bibliography because my dude has written like a hundred books. This is insane. <laughs> talk about talk about graphomania. <laughs> yeah, a hundred books. It's and so f- written so much, dude. So much. I I kind of it's like okay at this point I don't even actually I don't even want to know what his politics are anymore I'm just gonna pretend like uh, he has none I guess I don't know I think what we're gonna make the next TMK book club Guns of the South <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading uh, Guns of the South sounds interesting okay story deals with time traveling white supremacist members of the African neo weird stop AWB. From an imagined 21st century South Africa, of course, who will supply Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia with AK-47s and other advanced technology, medicine, and intelligence. Their intervention results in a Confederate victory after the war. Afterwards, however, the AWB members discover that their ideas for the Confederate states and Lee's are not one and the same as they believed. And the general and the men of the South have a violent falling out with the white supremacists from the future. What? Huh? Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> he also wrote a book called Joe Still, and it's about if uh, Joseph Stalin was a, a U.S. immigrant and became president instead of FDR. This is 
amazing. The original concept comes from a line in Janice Ian's song, God in the FBI, which says Stalin was a Democrat. In the foreword, Total Dove explains that from hearing this song, he began to imagine reasons for Stalin to be a Democrat, and the story grew from there. Giannis Ian was an editor of the original short story and his dedicate and his dedicatee of the resulting novel. Wow. I'm fascinated. I'm so fascinated with this because honestly, these these are actually like novel original takes on alternate histories. I am into them. I'm interested in them, you know. You know me, I'll read I'll read anyone, even if they're right wing or left wing, uh, uh, you know, right wing, left wing. But I'm looking at the titles and I'm looking at the covers and, you know, feels a, feels a little right wing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> feels, feels <laughs> it's and I'm which I'll read it. I'll still read it. You know, my favorite one of my favorite sci fi series is by right wing nut. And you read the series and it's like I've definitely recommended it to people and they read it and they're like, are you? Is there something you're, you're trying not to tell me something? Are you are you leftist? Because because uh, the book is so easily it's so it ta- it's like so crazily the series is so crazily right wing, but it's fu- it's like you know it's it's funny to see what they think you know it's interesting. And but this, this, uh, and this dude, Harry Turtledove sounds like he's got a beautiful mind. You know, what I'm, I'm saying? dude. I'm really fascinated in all this. What the fuck? This particular novel is about the lives of six Jews living in modern Berlin, the Nazis having won World War II 80 years prior. Why would any... Is there any honest... Is there any reason... Why would the Jews still be alive if, if the Nazis won? Wouldn't they have hmm. killed them all? Yeah, you think so? But the World War II alternative history, that shit is so... You know, that that's old. That's old, you know? Like, Phil oh. K. Dick did The Man in the High Castle. Like, there's so much World War II alternative history. But doing some Confederate alternative history, but sci-fi style with some uh, time-traveling um, South African white supremacists bringing back AK-47 sniper rifles, landmines, uh, yeah, members of the, book the club. future. This is something like... Back to the future, like KKK shit. <laughs> if we do this for the book club, I mean, people are gonna have a real uh, head whipper uh, <laughs> to go to go from dawn of everything <laughs> to um, to to. And what if the Confederate won with AK forty sevens and had a falling out with the white supremacists who gave them? Listener, we are not doing this for a book club. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, we're not. Drawing I'm drawing a line somewhere, but but thank you <laughs> for kicking us down this rabbit hole of, uh, and introducing us to one of the most beautiful minds uh, living today, who I did not yeah. I did not know about. Yeah, you know what, you guys, uh, that that was a a fuck you to the people at Trash Future. We we invented a bit that lasted 20 minutes too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Riley, I want to see you come up with a bit that lasts this long. <laughs> They'll do it. They can do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. We we are try- we are we are picking a fight with the masters. Uh, <laughs> last thing on Harry Norman Turtle Dove. He ha- he has a PhD in Byzantine history. Uh, <laughs> 
What the fuck? What does that mean? From UCLA. Now I'm now I'm going to look up his thesis. Yeah, his dissertation was on the period uh, AD 565 to 582. His dissertation was titled The Immediate Successors of Justinian, A Study of the Persian Problem and of Continuity and Change in Internal Secular Affairs in the Later Roman Empire during the reigns of Justin II and Tiberius II Constantine, AD 565-582. to That is the whole title of his dissertation. <laughs> what is the Persian problem? Does he just mean, oh, because of the Iran, because of our... Because of Persians being right there and the Sassanids, that's probably what he means, mm. right? Because they had hella wars. <laughs> that's crazy. What the fuck? We just stumped. This is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Turtle Dove published his first two novels, Were Blood and Were Night, in 1979 under the pseudonym Eric G. Iverson. He later explained that his editor at Belmont Tower did not think that people would believe the author's real name was Turtle Dove and came <laughs> up with something more Nordic. Man, if, if your first pool is, oh, I need a Nordic name. And then later you write Guns of the South. I, I know where you're coming from. <laughs> oh my God. This is amazing. What? Okay. He's got it. He's got it. The late, the latest book, 2021. It's called Or Even Eagle Flew. Say that five times fast. Okay. He let's see. wrote a, he co-wrote a book with Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a man what have you done to us Jeremy <laughs> he co-wrote a book called the two Georges uh, an alternative history and detective thriller with Richard Dreyfus <laughs> Oscar winning actor Richard Dreyfus whose son Ben Dreyfus is one of the most annoying people on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Oh uh, yeah. Okay. For more the background for this book, this is something. This is a this is a mouthful. For more than two centuries, what would have become the continental United States and Canada has been the North American Union, a self-governing dominion within the British Empire, with Alaska being retained under the rule of Russia and Hawaii being a British protectorate. Title of the novel refers to a fictional Gainsborough painting that commemorates the agreement between George Washington and King George III, which peacefully ended the American Revolution, implied as a result of George Grenville never becoming prime minister. The painting itself has become a symbol of unity. Native Americans fared much better than in real-world history with tribes such as the Iroquois and the Cherokee, managing to keep much of their land and have autonomy, their status comparable to that of the princely states in British India. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> As the North American Union remained in the British Empire following peaceful negotiation, the French Revolution was suppressed as the storming of the Bastille by troops under the command of Napoleon Bonaparte and the French in service of Louis the fifteenth, uh, the sixteenth, thus preserving the Bourbon monarchy. Uh, by the twentieth century, France and Spain exist in a French-dominated personal union, the Holy Alliance, which controls most of Latin America and Northern Africa, and is ruled by Francois the Fourth. 
The abolition of slavery in the British Empire in 1833 included slaves in North America. The emancipated blacks prospered, gained education, and experienced a rapid upward social mobility by the 20th century, becoming a mainly middle-class community. Conversely, the Irish-American community remained a predominantly poor, working-class population subsisting on hard physical labor, such as coal mining, on which the North American Union depended for its energy. This created bitter jealousy among the Irish, and many of them came to support the Sons of Liberty a terrorist organization that wants to see America become independent from the British Empire and promotes a blatantly racist and xenophobic ideology. So the Founding Fathers, nice. In the 20th century, the empires of Great Britain, the Holy Alliance, and Russia are the world's major powers, with the Austrian Empire being a European land-based middle power covering Balkan territory and neither Germany nor Italy becoming unified nation-states. As in the Mexican War of our history, the mid-19th century saw British and the North American Union conquer a large portion of Nueva España, in this case also including the Baja California Peninsula, from the Holy Alliance. The city of Los Angeles was renamed New Liverpool and has developed one of the largest cities of the North American Union and the province of Upper California. What is this about? What? <laughs> I mean, when I, it sounds I just read like, lore. I just read lore. <laughs> yeah, this is some deep lore. <laughs> what it sounds like is an alternative history where uh, the America did not become independent from the British Empire, but the British Empire is benevolent and, and, yes. and the world is better for it. What the fuck? <laughs> it also sounds like my man watched uh, uh, White Man's Burden. Oh, yes. Yes. Because look here, the, the the Houston Chronicle listed the two Georges as one of the many pieces of fiction that have pictured blacks as the head of the executive branch. In this case, Sir Martin Luther King, <laughs> governor general of North America. What? Man, what is the revisit on that boondocks episode? <laughs> <laughs> His mind, his mind is just doing, is making connections we can't. Okay. Why the fuck did he write this with Richard Dreyfus? <laughs> I wonder what his input was. I think it was the th the bit about the Irish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the bitterness of the Irish. The Irish just remain the like the most uh, oppressed and marginalized and bitter group. What are the reviews what of the this? Fuck, dude. When a precious and historic painting is stolen by a group of terrorists who will stop at nothing to shatter the union of Britain and America, Colonel, or Colonel Thomas Bushwell, the government's most fearless agent, is the only man who can stop them in a suspenseful tale of alternate history. Oh, okay. So it's like it's like a Jack Reacher novel, but in the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, but in an alternative history where the British Empire keeps chugging along instead of like right. becoming a decrepit, decayed thing that it is today. I want to read the best Fuck review. Bizarre. This review <laughs> is bizarre. A 600 page novel. It's insane. <laughs> this review says, in fairness, for the titles, if this is typical for alternative history genre, I'm not a fan. In fairness, I'm unfamiliar with alternative history novels, so I was expecting that more would be said about why things were different and how the history evolved. Very little of that was offered. So if that is typical of the genre, then maybe it deserves a higher rating. I was disappointed from that perspective. So we are told the basics. The George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson went to London and talked to King George and resolved the issues of the colonists to their satisfaction. Then, given a world map, 
different state names and different city names, conspiracy unfolds that takes a Royal American mounted policeman all across the country to solve the crimes that are committed. The plot was somewhat engaging, but the book would have been much shorter had they left out the interminable details about what each character ordered for meals. Hardly a meal was missed in the weeks over which the book's plot unfolds. The <laughs> sexual content was very minimal and tame. Yeah, I, you know me. I would, I would, uh, I would rate a book negatively if the sexual content was tame and there were too much, there were too many meals. You know, too much food, <laughs> less food, more sex. That's the verdict. He was just hoping for this, uh, this book to be featured on an episode of Binging with Babbage. <laughs> 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 you just did like a a shaker of references. You just threw some shit in. You shook it up and be like, uh, like Mad Lib style. <laughs> <laughs> His book is going to be featured on uh, <laughs> uh, Hot Ones. <laughs> <laughs> It's so, it's like whiplash reading these. Like some of them are just like, it's so boring. <laughs> I love it. The two Georges, amazing. Missed opportunity, a gem. Not worth one George, quite frankly. <laughs> Contrived, not one of Turtle Dove's best. He can create such wonderful what if stuff, but this is not one of them. Don't put off his other stuff, though. There are some other gems. <laughs> not quite, not worth one George, quite frankly, is. <laughs> God. <laughs> God. He, has, he has a series of stories uh, first published in, in 2016 called State of Jefferson Stories. Uh, okay. uh, the stories are set in a world in which Sasquatch, Yeti, Indonesian hobbits, merfolk, and other cryptids are real or not extinct. Unlike common popular depictions of such creatures as less evolved primates, they are integrated into a world designated for ordinary humans or quote-unquote little people. People. Like other ethnic minorities, cryptids experience cultural assimilation and racial stereotyping, become less familiar with ancestral customs and languages, and interbreed with the majority. In 1919, seven, several countries in Northern California and Southern Oregon succeeded, forming the state of Jefferson. Neither the new state nor the earlier discovery of cryptids greatly affected United States or world history, with events such as the Chinese invasion of Tibet, 1973 oil crisis, and Iranian hostage crisis still occurring. Most American Sasquatch live in the state. Although they are still a sm small minority, size is a protected class in Jefferson with anti-discrimination law guaranteeing reasonable accommodation. Most stories depict Governor Bill Williamson, uh, William Williamson, Jefferson's second Sasquatch leader, who during the late 1970s and early 1980s meets Charlie Curral, Jerry Turner, Nobuo Fuita, and a Yeti Dalai Lama from the state capital of Eureka. He promotes his small, rural, and obscure state to the nation and world as an example of how different species can peacefully cooperate. He's trying to do like a like a uh, it sounds like like a uh, some kind of fable or 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 tell about like you know uh, Native Americans or African Americans, but instead he's just like yo what what if what if they're all Sasquatches and Yetis? 
Yeah, but that's how that's how he you know he was trying to relate to white readers. Yeah, Someone's you can't empathize it. like you can't have human empathy with uh with Native Americans and African Americans, but you can but you can put yourself in the shoes of Sasquatches and Yetis. I mean, you, you really can because their feet are huge. Got me feeling like Riley over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that they use the state of Jefferson, though, because that's a real movement, and those people are not about inclusivity. Yeah, also true yeah. because this is the uh, what this is Northern California and Southern Oregon, also a hotbed for uh, like. Like conf- like pro Confederate uh, white supremacist militia movements. I'm seeing themes. I'm seeing themes <laughs> in this man's books. <laughs> There's definitely uh, a pattern. We're we're tabulating the data. Uh, we are look. We're we're looking very seriously into this. Okay, very strongly actually into this. And and I and I suspect something's going on. Um, I mean, he has literally a, like a hundred books. Like we could just, we could, we could do a whole podcast, not just an episode, a whole yeah. damn podcast, not even <laughs> reading the books, just reading the synopsis of the books. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. This is amazing. Holy shit. What the fuck? And we just titled this episode TMK Side Quest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like we are well, doing uh, um, Initially, we had we had dreamed about talking about crypto, but as you can see, Harry, Harry Turtle Dove is much more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Turtle Dove has taken us. Um, now, now I'm starting to now I'm starting to agree. Maybe he is the master of alternative history. I mean, he def he sucked us in. Yeah, dude. We just. <laughs> What the fuck, man? Um, yeah, I, he has some fantasy stuff too. He's got like some, he's got like some typical dark fantasy, like fight the dark lord stuff. I'm looking at it's called the darkness the novel of the world at war. It's got another novel series with a white man on top of it. Um, the the Vidiso cycle, uh, misplaced legion and emperor for legion. Um, what's this one about? Harry Turtle Dove's many New York Times bestsellers provide an intriguing take on history's most crucial moments, but he honed his speculative talents in a different genre, fantasy. The Vesidious Cycle is a perfect fusion of the two. Collected here are the first two novels of Turtle Dove's one-in-a-kind saga in which a Roman legion is transported to a strange realm where magic rules. There's the Misplaced Legion. In a duel for survival, the Roman military tribune Marcus Aemilius Sarcus raises his sword, blessed by a druid priest, against a Celtic chieftain who brandishes a blade of his own. At the moment the t- weapons touch, Marcus and his legion find themselves under a strange night sky full of unfamiliar stars where Rome and Gaul are unknown. They are in an outpost of the embattled empire of Vidosis a world that will test their skills and courage as no soldiers have ever been tested before. Okay. That's not the, that's not the alternate history we came here for (laughs) fellas. So we're going to keep looking. (laughs) Sounds cool. Don't care. Let's look at this one where apparently aliens invade. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Harry turtle dove. I feel like I'm on Wheel of Fortune. I'm like, Harry Turtle Doves, aliens in the balance. Okay, this one's called World War in the Balance. 
1994 alternate history novel by Taylor Dove. It's the first novel in the World War Tetralogy. And it's the first installment in the extended World War series that includes the colonization trilogy and the novel Homeward Bound. The plot begins in late 1941, while the Earth is torn apart by World War II. An alien fleet arrived to conquer the planet, forcing the warring nations to make uneasy alliances against the invaders. Meanwhile, the aliens, who refer to them as refer to themselves as the race, discover that their enemy is far fiercer and more technologically advanced than expected. What do you mean? Why would aliens have a hard time fighting us? It's those baseball bats with the nails <laughs> through them. After- <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is we can we'll go through the plot of this because this is this is uh, the first one in that series. After arriving in Earth's solar system, the conquest fleet's, uh, fleet's essential personnel are awakened from cold sleep after a twenty-year journey originating from Tall Seti Two. Fleet Lord Atvar, busy making the final preparations for the invasion of Earth expects a rapid victory over the primitive beings populating the planet. He's interrupted by a communications officer who reports the radio emissions are emanating from Earth. Aftar refuses to believe the report since the most recent intelligence gathered from a probe that visited Earth in the 12th century indicates that the inhabitants are pre-industrial species. The conquest fleet reaches Earth orbit in December 1941 and begins surveying the planet. It's shocked to find that in the course of only 800 years, the inhabitants have moved from a primitive agricultural society to an industrial civilization. The race's technology has hardly changed in more than 50,000 years. And other known t- intelligent species are similarly slow to evolve. Oh, so we're special. Yeah, yeah, we're special. We, I, li- we I love this. acceleration on the- innovation. Hell yeah. Racism is okay against aliens. I think that's like an unspoken rule in a lot of uh in a lot of fiction, right? We're special. Yeah, it's actually Very it's actually stupid. encouraged. Racism against yeah. <laughs> they're even called the race. <laughs> so it's literally yeah. racism. <laughs> but if the race we have to conquer, we have to destroy yeah, the we race. Have to destroy the, we have to band together to destroy <laughs> the race. The race of aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we, I sent this whole episode on a sidetrack, but we might as well keep the fucking ball rolling. I'm going to mention another another book series that unfortunately I read, but it's, I read this like 13 years ago, and it's called The Axis of Time, mm-hmm. The Order of Axis of Time series by a writer named John Birmingham. And basically, it's uh, there's a movie that came out in the 80s where a modern nuclear destroyer, like Navy ship. Mm-hmm got struck by lightning and was transported back to the battle of midway. Hell yes. That shit would fuck it up. This borrows the same idea and it's 2019 and a fleet of like, uh, UN ships, including like France, United States, Germany, uh, Iceland. Uh, I don't, I can't remember. There's a bunch of them. There's just like, it's like, you know, through a bunch of, uh, uh, country names in a hat and threw it out and you got America's like the free space. So like they're automatically included. But anyway, what happened is like this fleet of ships gets transported back in time to like 1944 in the Pacific, the main, the main, uh, carrier in the, the U S the, like the biggest ship out of all of them was a U.S. carrier. Are you guys ready for the name of the ship and why it was called that? Yeah. Hell yes. Hit me with it. USS Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) And the writer says, and he wrote this in 2004, mind you. (laughs) He wrote, she was the most fierce 
wartime president the United States has ever had. <laughs> and 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 this was the this is set in 2021. This book, yeah, this is this is this is some uh, some real near miss alternative history. This ain't some like weird like ah oh, this would never happen. This is a real like we almost took that turn from a pop culture point of view is people had these iPads kind of full of all the modern music. And so enterprising people were going and seeking these people out in some cases, like their parents before they were even born. And like, we want to sign your child to a, uh, a record deal. One, one of the characters was driving around the South and just like scooping up all the like uh, rock and roll artists and like blues artists, like Johnny Cash and like Elvis Presley and like, you know, Chuck Berry and shit like that. Just like scooping all these people up to sign them to exclusive contracts without telling them that they have popular music in the future that because of this discovery, they may not even make, but they're just doing it based on the fact that like it was, it was a uh, preordained in their future. And also Stal- Stalin became like a, a, a complete maniac because he discovered how to make helicopters from one of the, uh, Boats that fell in Russian waters. You're describing a very insane alternative history right now. <laughs> I, I, it sounds like I just. It sounds like I just took a bunch of mushrooms and just started talking. But this is what the shit was about. I'm making the proclamation now. Alternative history is anti-dialectical, anti-materialist, <laughs> and and we need <laughs> and, and we need to have a struggle session for all these alternative <laughs> history motherfuckers. Listen, if you. If uh, if you keep finding yourself returning to interesting scenarios where um, the Nazis or the Confederates were not vanquished, hit us up. Call in for a struggle session. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a fun time, I promise, for one of us. <laughs> <laughs> This was absolutely a TMK side quest. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do, I do like that. This was not the plan at all. As, as indicated, we did actually have a plan to have a normal TMK episode <laughs> where we were going to talk about DeFi and shadow banking, but that you know some boring shit. But you know, instead we had to fall down this rabbit hole. Thank you, Jeremy, uh, <laughs> for introducing us to one of the most brilliant minds of a generation uh, in Harry Turtle. Dove. Um, <laughs> this is also fun too because I feel like we just inadvertently accidentally did an episode not of TMK but instead of like uh, an episode that would fit better with one of my favorite podcasts called Bunta Vista which is a, an Australian um, comedy podcast that, that, that routinely falls into this kind of like weird, weird side quest territory um, so I'm, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good. If you like oh, yeah. this and you want to hear it done uh, better and more consistently, Bunta Vista. Check out the beautiful Bunta Vista uh, podcast. <laughs> this is good. Oh, yeah. This is good. Maybe this is an occasional thing we'll do where we uh, we'll just accidentally do episodes of other people's podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Let's do it. It's like a it's like a little like Twilight Zone or Tales of the Crypt like anthology series. 
bestiaries. <laughs> we can maybe we'll even make our own uh, alternate history uh, TMK canon <laughs> alternate history sanctioned by us. No problematic things. <laughs> well, <laughs> no I mean, Nazis. Hey, we should you know, legit real- do an alternative history TMK where we are like uh, the A16Z in-house podcast or something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, okay. I like this. Just We're coming over there. Those. We could do scripts and little sounds and shit. It could be a long-term project. <laughs> we can make it sound all fancy, like a little little NPR episode. Here's our dispatch <laughs> this week in uh, the United... I dispatch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't forget the land acknowledgements. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So so uh, Ed, pitch me your your best alternate history book. Like you're you're right here in front of a publisher. You got his ear for three minutes. Give me your. This is Harry Turtle Dove's publisher, and they want to hear your best alternate history book in three minutes. Pitch me. I was I was I was tweeting this one the other day. I'm really into this idea of. We win World War II. There was this guy, this political scientist in the administration, well, kind of associated with the administration, Hans Morgenthau, who was like, we should just destroy Germany. Um, we should like deindustrialize it and we should partition what's left and we should migrate everyone and just make sure there's never there's no more no more German problem. It just isn't there anymore. And I'm and I was like, okay, what if instead of like, you know, have you ever read The Years of Rice and Salt? No, what's that about? I've heard Can of it, but I don't I don't know what it's about. It's my favorite, probably my favorite alternate history. I think it is my favorite alternate history book. It's by Kim Stanley Robinson. And so in the Black Plague, instead of killing like what, like a third or fifth of people in Europe, it kills like ninety eight plus ninety plus percent of everyone in Europe. And show over time it's like empires kind of vying for that empty land different historical developments um you have a different sort of like a political map i want to i want to pull it up because i think it's a really fascinating uh one but while i pull it up basically mine would be like okay instead of the years of rice and salt right where you kind of have like a focus on how there's like a huge uh indigenous uh coalition in um in, in what is the Americas. There's like a Chinese Inca in South America. There's an Indian League. There's like Japanese Republic, Republic of China. Uh, there's Islamic states. There's, uh, uh, there's uh, I think, Burmese um, League. Um, instead of all of this, right? So it's oh, basically sorry. saying what if like, yeah, so it's what if uh, the Black Death Plague had killed 99% of Europe's population? So it's yeah, basically, and then, what, what if Europe just got wiped off of the map and wasn't yeah, what a, if Europe, a, a what, global player? Europe got wiped off the map. The Islamic nations basically took over Eurasia and most of Africa. China goes in and colonizes a new the Americas along with this Islamic League. Um, and there's like this kind of fusion of the indigenous peoples of America trying to resist um, the Chinese and Muslim invaders. And then there's a world war between Muslim states and the Chinese states and their partners, right? And then there are characters who keep getting reincarnated over time. And that's like a pretty interesting one. So I think it'd be interesting to have one where um, you deindustrialize Germany, uh, you kill all the Nazis and and all of them uh, that were in command decisions, um, and then maybe some other criteria, and all of the Japanese fascists as well. Um, and then you go from there, and you see what would what what kind of world would happen? What kind of world would we ha- uh, have developed uh, if we just did that? Maybe 
We don't have as advanced weaponry with rockets attached to it. Maybe we don't get NASA. Okay, what else do we get if we don't have a Germany anymore? I don't know. I think I'd, I'd, I think I'd pitch it not as like a fully fleshed out idea, but like this is the starting point. I kind of just want to play with it and explore what the next thousand years of human history or maybe not even the next thousand, next hundred years of world history look like. But I think thousand would be more appealing because then you could start from historical fiction to like a sort of weird literary present fiction to like a futuristic sci-fi fiction. So you could bounce around in genres in that one book. There you go. There you go. All right. All right. Hit us, Jeremy. What's yours? What's your alternative history? Well, shit, man. I've had a lot that I've thought about over a period of time. And I'm, I, I feel kind of on board with, uh, with Ed because it seems like if you look back throughout history, or at least modern history, most of our ills are essentially come from colonization. And colonization is done to many communities in this world, you know, without, without us, without Europe, you don't really have, you know, colonization as we know it. I mean, it's, it's possible that it'll happen or it would happen in the future, but think of more along the lines of, uh, all the, an ill befelt, all of the Royal houses in Europe, how much different the world and essentially Europe would have been, you know, there would have been power vacuums across all these countries, you know, Royal houses basically ran portions of Europe, you know, essentially from, one family in many cases, maybe something happened or maybe they got fucking cursed. Who knows? Magic might exist in my book series. So someone cursed Royal lines or they all disappeared and allowed, allowed communities basically to develop more without the domineering overseer, which is, you know, in many cases, Royal family. And then all the rich Lords landowners, you know, like, I don't know, man, I I feel like that my book is just kind of turning into an anarchist fever dream. (laughs) Hell yeah. That's what alternative history is good for perfect Europe, you know, just a bunch of small communities of self-reliant people not having to worry about, you know, having to pay pittance to a king who doesn't care about them. What about you, Jason? Okay. I like that. I'm going to, I'll go, I'll go with the, uh, the old alternative history trope of it being in world war two. Obviously that's the, that, you know, that's the global pivot point that everybody wants to, to go back to. What if something was different, but instead the, I think the two big differences and then we'll, and then we see how, how history unfurls from them, uh, is that, uh, instead of Lenin dying, at the, the, the young age of 54, um, you know, after a series of strokes uh, and, and Stalin usurping Lenin, um, instead Lenin, you know, uh, maintains his strength, his, his vitality uh, and, and his position um, at the head of the USSR. It's no longer the tyrant Stalin, but is the, you know, is the utopian Lenin. Um, uh, and then... So that's one. The other pivot point is that, you know, World War II obviously still is going to kick off. Um, but, you know, it's the United States that expends a lot of its resources and manpower um, defeating the Axis rather than the USSR doing so, which means that, um, uh, that the U.S. is in a weakened state after World War II, thus uh, preventing it from growing um, and becoming uh, the, a world superpower in the wake of Europe's, you know, wreckage, uh, in the wake of essentially the forced rapid deindustrialization of, uh, and destruction of Europe, which allowed for a, va- you know, a power vacuum for the U.S. to step into. But instead, here, the U.S. is in a weakened state, and you got Lenin at the head of the Soviet Union. And so 
we have world communism, right? But not spread through colonization, but spread through uh, uh, voluntary membership in the Soviet Union. Um, and, you know, so instead of one hand, we instead of having the, 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 the tyranny and autocracy of Stalin combined with the constant competition of uh, against the United States, the, the the toxicity of a Cold War, the toxicity of trying to do capitalism but better, which is what a lot of the Soviet Union was at that time. Um, instead, you actually have the uh, the the conditions for true communism to flourish uh, and to spread. So through those two pivot points, uh, those two pivotal differences we see uh, unspreading over time. And I think it would be something that would take place over, you know, over the next hundred years. So kind of bringing us up to contemporary time, uh, but the, the kind of slow spread of, uh, of global communism. I like that. I think these are all great ideas. I'd love to read alternate fictions where y'all write them. We should combine our forces like uh, James S.A. Corey, who does the uh, Expanse series. Just now, where it's multiple write people under writing one. under one name. Yeah, that'll be fun. We're we're at time. <laughs> this is a very, very fun, very unexpected episode. You little little mm-hmm. TMK altern- alternative history, um, TMK side quest, as Jeremy called it. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess what this means is that we will. Um, we will hit y'all at some point next week with our planned DeFi shadow banking episode because it's too good not to do. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, it's a really fucking good uh, um, article that we're going to be discussing. Um, but you can find us at patreon.com slash this machine kills where uh, over on the premium feed, we do actually have uh, our next chapter of the dawn of everything. Talk about, you know, this is this is like alternative history, but it's like it's like you know st- better understanding how history don't actually happened. Yeah, it's what they don't want you to know about real history. Uh, and I mean, they they're, they're, this is some fodder. Dawn of everything, some good fodder for alternative history stuff as well. Um, just having that better understanding of how human civilization actually developed. Um, but so find us over there on the Patreon feed for the book club on Dawn of Everything. Um, and, you know, tune in next week for uh, a planned episode on DeFi and shadow banking. That's going to be really good. Um, so find us there. Subscribe, uh, listen, share, all that good stuff. Um, and until then, see ya. Adios.
Machine Kill.